So our Old Testament reading that my dad, Wayne Spears, that he read a few minutes ago, this remarkable passage from the prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 29, we heard this extraordinary command. I mean, can you just imagine? The people of God are in exile, and Babylon is this great wicked city, and God commands his people to move into that city and to work for and to pray for and to seek that city's flourishing, its welfare. In Hebrew, it's the word shalom, that they weren't supposed to pray against Babylon. They were supposed to pray for it. And if you don't know the difference, then just tell one of your friends, I'm praying against you, or tell them I'm praying for you. And, and they'll, they'll know the difference. And God wanted his people to relate to that wicked city for it, not against it. And, and this is just one example of how all through the Bible, God calls his people again and again to be agents both of personal renewal and cultural renewal, regardless of the cultures they found themselves in. And so for the Church of the Incarnation, right alongside our clear-eyed focus on the need for people to be redeemed and renewed, we as a church must also seek the peace and the joy and the justice and the flourishing of this city, of the businesses in this city, and the schools, of art and hospitals, families and government, agriculture, and the land itself, financial institutions, the mental health professions, homemaking and science, real estate and playgrounds and housing, and the list just goes on and on. Because when God commands his people to seek the welfare, not of the people in a city, but of the city. And a city is not just people. It's the entire ecosystem of institutions and buildings and land and ideas. It's the natural environment and the culture. It's all of this together that we're called to seek the welfare of and the labor for the flourishing of. So as we move into this marvelous new home, let's lift our eyes up to the full breadth of our mission. Our church exists for the glory of God and the shalom, the flourishing, the welfare, the good of this city. So this is a great, it is a grand vision. And how in the world can our little church do this? I mean, this city dwarfs us. How can we seek the welfare of this city? How can we pursue such an all-encompassing vision? Well, obviously, there's no simple answer to that question, but there is one part of the answer that tonight is a natural moment for us to open our hearts and our imaginations to. It's this. If the church of the incarnation is going to pray for and work for the glory of God and the flourishing of every square inch, every institution and person in this city, then we must recognize that that is something we cannot do by ourselves. This is a task, not for the Church of the Incarnation, but for the whole church of Harrisonburg. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that Mama Jalila read to us in Arabic. We, we, we find these words, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God that is in Corinth. And it's interesting. There were a bunch of churches in Corinth, but he used the singular, not because he was picking one of them out, 
but because he regularly looked at cities and saw all of the churches there as the church of the city. Now, this happens all through the Bible. We find it in Acts chapter 9, verse 31, where we read these words. The church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. There it is again, singular. The church throughout all of Judea and Galilee. There was a bunch of churches. They had a lot of different styles and flavors. There were many churches in that region. But again and again, Paul, when he looks at spaces, places, cities, he sees the group as a whole as the church. And this is something that's at the core of the gospel. It's it's true about our city. God's church in Harrisonburg is more than the church of the incarnation. It's all of the churches of Harrisonburg. This is at the core of the gospel. It's not some little optional side hustle for people who feel kind of ecumenical or something. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, Paul writes, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you. And he's not writing to one church. He's writing to all of the churches. This isn't about your church feeling all unified. This is about the church of the city. That there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there's quarreling among you. My brothers, what I mean is that each one of you says, I'm a Baptist or I'm a Lutheran. or That's one translation. <laughs> I follow Paul or I follow Apollos or I follow Cephas or I follow Christ. Paul was a Roman citizen. Apollos was, uh, was um, a, a Jewish, no, Apollos was a Greek name, a Greek man. I follow Cephas. That was the Jewish name for Peter. And then there's the group that just trumps everybody and says, we're not in a tribe. We're just the true group. I follow Christ. And Paul cuts to the very heart of that baloney. Is Christ divided? You see, for Paul, the unity of the church is a cardinal truth of the gospel. And when we lose sight of the unity of the church, we make shipwreck of the gospel. And because we must be passionate for the truth of the gospel, we must be passionate for the unity of the church. And tonight, as we dedicate our new building, let us remember that it is our unity with the other churches in this city that makes us great. Not this beautiful art. Not this amazing thing we pulled off. It's that we're a part of the church of Harrisonburg. And if we're going to live out the biblical vision of of what God calls churches to do, then it has to be the whole church of this city for the welfare of the whole city. And one of the things that will impede our church's ability to seek the welfare of the city is the pride of self-sufficiency, is to get to a moment like this and think, wow, look what we've done. And this is remarkable. What this small church has pulled off. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 21, Paul writes, The eye can't say to the hand, I have no need of you. And remember, he's writing to a group of churches who are doing this to each other. One church can't say to another, I have no need of you, nor can the head say to the feet, I don't need you. The church in Corinth had fallen into the trap of thinking that each one of them were thinking that their ideas were the best ideas. That, that they didn't need the others. And so Paul goes on to say in verse 29, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret? And these are obviously rhetorical questions. The answer is no. You know, the very first negative comment in the Bible is when God says it is not good for man to be alone. That is a fundamental fact 
of reality that applies not only to you and me as individuals, it absolutely applies to the churches of a city. It is not good for incarnation to be alone. By ourselves, incarnation, we are so limited in how much we can contribute to the, to the deep Deep healing of this city to the welfare, the shalom, the flourishing of the city. But, but when I look at Merle from Grace Covenant, Mike, where's Mike? From Mosaic of Grace and, and Peter from Eastside. When I look around at Harrigan from Early Church and Joe from Cornerstone and Blake from Faith Community, these pastors from churches in the city, they are friends of mine. And I'm so humbled that they're here because they believe this stuff that I've been saying. That's why they're here. Because there's a movement happening in our city among these pastors who are coming to this place to say, we're the church. And so when one church is dedicating its building, we're there. And we're beginning to recognize each other's ordinations. And, and, and this is one of the great works of God. The, the deal is, these other churches, they, they bring gifts to our city that our church cannot bring. That we'll never be able to bring. By ourselves, we're not enough. As as a single local church, incarnation is incomplete. Apart from the other churches in the city. So my prayer has been that tonight, as we consecrate this amazing building, as our new church home, as we dedicate it to God and to God's glory and to the good of the city, my prayer, my hope has been that the presence of these other pastors will help our church see a living picture of this fundamental truth that it is together that we are the church of Harrisonburg. And it is as we together labor and worship and love and pray from our building spread out through the city, may we keep this clear sense that it is the whole church in Harrisonburg united together that can best seek the welfare of the city. And we can have this unity only so long as we maintain a common center. This is how Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3. I want you to understand, 12, chapter 12, verse 3. I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. In other words, as we seek to be part of the church in Harrisonburg, a unity of churches laboring together for the common good, we have to start at the center, the center of the Christian faith, that Jesus Christ is the Lord and that he alone is the Lord. And we have to stick to the center of the gospel if we're going to hold this unity together. And, and, and this is not always a given with churches. It's in, in a strange, often unintended way. When churches catch a vision of the whole gospel for the whole city, what too often begins as a gospel motivated concern for flourishing and justice for unity can turn into a fixation on flourishing in which Christ no longer appears. And when that happens, when flourishing and justice and unity become something not centered on Christ, they become something else. They become an idol. They become a way to effectively neutralize the gospel, flattening it out to a social services project in which the particularity of Jesus and his life and death and resurrection is strangely absent. So Jesus is Lord. 
That's what the pastors of these churches, that's what we've been sharing in common. We get together every month to spend an afternoon together, praying, getting to know each other, building the friendship, learning from each other. We go away for 24 hours every year to pray for our city because we share the core. We share this deep commitment that Christ is the Lord. And so incarnation, as we dedicate this building to our Lord Jesus Christ, let's be so proud, let's be so happy, let's be so pleased and amazed at what God has done, but let's remember that we exist for the glory of God and the good of the city, and let's tonight receive the gift of these pastors as they serve us and love us and join with us, and let's recognize that it is all of these churches together that make the church of Harrisonburg. In our gospel reading Thank you, Keith. From John chapter 17. In this prayer, Jesus prayed. His longest prayer is centered on what I'm talking about. In this prayer he prayed, he asked the Father for his followers to be united as he and the Father are united. Holy cow. Like that's a uniting, right? Jesus is in the Father. And the Father is in Jesus. Each finds his home in the other. Each dwells in the other's love. And Jesus prayed that our churches would do that. Jesus prayed that that the church would exhibit that kind of unity so that the world would believe in Jesus. He connected our ability to evangelize to our commitment to unity. So it's not an option. It's not something that just gets to be a hobby. Our church has to live this out. Each Christian, each church has to hospitably receive every other church in the same way the Father receives the Son. Each church should dwell in every other church in the same way that the Son dwells in the Father. And we figured out how to do this in our denominations. Anglican churches dwell in each other. And we as a group of pastors, I'm telling you, we're trying to figure out what it means for Methodists to dwell in Anglican churches and Anglicans to dwell in Pentecostal churches. Each church, this is what Jesus wants for his city. This is what we're here for because God loves this city. God loves this city. He loves it so much. It is in the unity of the churches that we will astound the city into believing. So as we take up our residence in this new home, and from here we pray and we work for the glory of God and the flourishing of the city, may the Lord continue to bless incarnation with his spirit, leading us deeper and deeper, not only into unity with each other, but into unity with our brothers and sisters who are in different traditions of the church than us. And may... As we do this, may we remember that this unity is is a crucial way that we will seek the welfare of the city and help our beloved city to find paths of shalom into the future. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.